Welcome to episode 125 of In the Kitchen with Mary Mac. Since this is our fifth anniversary, we are having a sale at MaryMacPodcast.com. Use promo code POD5, that's P-O-D-F-I-V-E, for free shipping through the month of January. That's code POD5 on MaryMacPodcast.com. our fifth anniversary episode. That's right. We've been doing In the Kitchen with Mary Mack for five years. Hard to believe. It's really, really hard to believe. So we got this idea (laughs) that um, we would do five recipes for this show to celebrate our five years. And being, why were we going to do square stuff? Because 125 is five squared. Oh, yeah, yeah. I knew it was something. I couldn't remember (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah well okay it's a very mathy episode it's a very mathy episode yes so anyway all five of our foods today all five of our recipes today are going to be a square food um something that's served made whatever square so it was a real stretch finding <laughs> five Five new square recipes was really was really a stretch, but by golly, we did it. So some of these are um, new things that we've never uh, done, you know, that we tried, and some of them are old things that we've done many times. Actually, two of them are things that I've done, but not with this recipe before. So <laughs> here we go. Our first recipe we talked about on our last show, the jelly donut show, we talked about beignets at the end of it because the dough was very similar to the dough that you use to make those particular jelly donuts. So I, instead of using the normal thing that I do when I do a fried dough um, kind of a thing, which is what a beignet is, I did a more New Orleans recipe, which I found um, from my favorite, Emeril Lagasse. So this is one that they had published for one of his cookbooks, So I used that. And it's very similar. It's actually really similar to mine. The only difference, which I believe I mentioned on the last show, was the evaporated milk, which is like the standard thing that's used in beignet recipes. This recipe, um, it's it's a good recipe. It makes a lot of dough, though. So you are going to get, okay, if you use this recipe, you better have a lot of people coming over to eat beignets. I'm taking mine to work tomorrow to pass out to uh, all the guys at work because I think they'll like them, even though they're not piping hot and fresh. But by golly, they'll eat them. But they were very good piping hot and fresh. I can honestly say I have often heard that. And I I mean, you know, you know that yourself when you have a donut. It's always best when it's warm and fresh. But really, beignets are honest to goodness the best when they are freshly made, freshly dusted with powdered sugar. They're just really, really good. So um, this is a little bit more involved than making a normal sweet dough. A little bit more. A little bit longer of a process. But... Well worth it if you want to try something like this. It's kind of fun. You can also cut this recipe in half um, reasonably easily, and it will work just fine. If you don't want to make four dozen beignets and you only want to make two dozen beignets, you can definitely cut this in half. So here we go. 
Um, you're going to need three-fourths cup of lukewarm water. You don't want it to be really, really hot, around 110 degrees, which hopefully that's just about normal tap water temperature from right from the tap. So just like warm to the touch water, okay? One package of active dry yeast or two teaspoons of yeast if you buy yeast in bulk. A fourth cup of sugar four tablespoons of butter softened and divided into individual tablespoons, um, one egg, one cup of, of evaporated milk, and about four cups of all-purpose flour, which is going to be divided as we mix this up, and a half teaspoon salt. Okay, so here's what you're going to do. Um, this is not normally the way that I make dough, but I did it the way Emerald said, just because, you know, trying to be true to the recipe. So um, first you're going to mix your three-fourths cup of lukewarm water with the yeast and the sugar. Stir that up with a little whisk and let it sit for about five minutes. Okay, you want the yeast to get a little bit frothy in there. Next you're going to add your four tablespoons of softened butter. Just drop them in one at a time. Your egg and one cup of evaporated milk. And you're going to mix that up. You can either mix it with a mixer or you can use a whisk. Or you can use a whisk. And mix that up until it's really well mixed. Until the um, butter is pretty broken up, soft, and mixed in. You'll you'll be able to see it even though it's liquidy. Um, it's like it'll be a nice consistent sort of tan color. Once you get that mixed up, start adding your flour about a cup at a time. And just you can continue to use your mixer with this or you can do this by hand. Uh, mix in a cup of flour and stir it until it's well mixed in. Then mix the next cup in and keep going. If you're doing this with a mixer, you would want to be using the dough hooks on it. If you're doing it with a stand mixer, you can use the dough hooks on it. And you're going to mix in flour until it either begins to cling to the spoon and make it very difficult to stir or until it's clinging to the um, dough hooks. Once you get it to that point to where it's not super duper sticky and it's starting to ball up together, take that off and um, put it on a nice work surface that has a dusting of flour on it and knead it until it's very nicely textured, mixed up. It should be very, very slightly sticky. Not sticky, but very, just very slightly sticky. You don't want to put a ton of flour in here. Just about like how we talked about our donuts last week. Oh, I forgot. You want to put that half teaspoon of salt in with your first cup of flour. Okay. Now, once you get your dough all nicely mixed up, you're going to put that in a bowl that you've coated with with your uh, little bit extra of your softened butter. Put it in a nice big bowl, turn it to coat, cover it with plastic wrap and put it in a warm place and it's going to sit until it's doubled. And it's pretty chilly today, so it took about uh, two hours to double in size. Now, just the same with our jelly donuts, you're going to need a nice heavy bottom pot. I use my Dutch oven. And you're going to put about an inch deep of oil in it. I used canola oil. You want to put your thermometer, candy thermometer in there so you can check the temperature because these fry at 350 degrees. When you're ready to do your beignets, when your dough is doubled in size, what you want to do is get a nice cotton towel out um, and get your flour ready. Get your pizza cutter ready and your rolling pin. Take that towel and just dust it with a little tiny bit of flour and lay it out so that you can put your beignets on it after you cut them. 
Now, what you want to do is take half of your dough, spread it out on a floured surface and pat it out and then roll it. And it's going to spring right back at you. But try to roll it to where it's about an eighth of an inch thick, about a quarter of an inch thick in, in that range. Okay. Once you've rolled it out, take your pizza cutter and roll through it, cut it into strips about two to two and a half inches wide. And then you're going to go the other way. So you're making little squares that are about two inches square, two and a half inches square. Lift them up and set them on that floured towel. When you have them all done, um, you want them to sit about 10 minutes. They're going to sit longer than 10 minutes because of the cooking time and everything. But you want to let them sit at least 10 minutes before you start frying. So what I did, I, I cut everything Well, right before I started to cut everything, I turned my oil on medium-low and got it started heating. Okay, then I cut my beignets out, put them on the floured towel, went back to check my oil and turned it up a little bit to get it going. Um, And you want that, like I said, to be at 350 degrees. When you're ready to start frying, drop them in like six or seven at a time. And these take about two minutes. So what I did, when I dropped them into the oil, I set my timer for two minutes. And then halfway through, I turned them over and let them finish frying, made sure they were nicely browned, and then took them out to drain on paper towels that were set on a cooling rack, just about the same as I did with the donuts on the last episode. And then once they get to uh, where they're warm, you can handle them. They're still hot, but you can handle them. What what I did, you want to put them, get a container ready or uh, even like a towel laying on your table is fine. Sprinkle that with powdered sugar and then set the beignets on it and then sprinkle them with powdered sugar, turn them, sprinkle some more on them. And you want to get a nice coating on them. And then when you're ready to serve, you can put a little bit more on them and that's it. They're ready to eat. So if you have somebody there, like right as soon as you powder sugar those, if you have somebody there who's ready to pop them into their mouths, that's the best thing. And like I said, these these are kind of time consuming, but they weren't complicated to make. They're very good. The dough is very good. It's very nice to work with. And the funny thing is when you cut these, the dough is very stretchy, you know, when you first cut them. But after they sit for about 10 minutes, you can pick them up. I mean, they're as solid as like sugar cookie dough. By then they set up really quickly. So it, 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 this is a nice recipe. This is a very good recipe. My recipe, I did not put, I used oil instead of butter and that was really the only difference in it. So, and, um, instead of evaporated milk, I used regular milk, but this, this recipe, it seems to be all of the beignet recipes that you find have evaporated milk in them and not regular milk. So that must be like a standard of New Orleans cooking, I guess, but very good recipe, very good to try, Um, especially if you have a boring, cold day and nothing to do. That's a good one. Okay. Our next recipe is a lasagna that I've made in many forms, but not in lasagna form. Let's put it that way. I, I make a pasta like this all the time, and I thought this would be really good as lasagna, so I finally did it. The reason I made this in the first place, and it's so funny because I've read this on other recipes. A lot of people must do the same thing. We go to a pizza shop in Pittsburgh that's called Genoa Pizza, and it's right on the corner of Market Street and Boulevard of the Allies. Very good food. They they have an enormous menu. 
But we always laugh because everything that they, like every pizza that they have is also a pasta. It's also a sandwich. And sometimes it's a salad. So, you know, they, it's, the selection is enormous. It's, it's a very wide selection and everything can be in every shape of bread, yes. basically. And everything's really good. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's amazing. And it, it's amazing. So if you're ever in Pittsburgh, go to Genoa and get something to eat. You, you will not regret it. I'm calling this Genoa lasagna because I really wanted to try these items in a lasagna. So I finally did because I needed a square thing for this podcast. <laughs> and it was really good. It was really, really good. So I'll definitely be making this as a lasagna many, many times in the future. Very simple, too. There's a lot of ingredients in this, though. I'm going to read off the ingredient list, and then I'll give you the assembly order. And it's it's very uh, a lot of vegetables. Um, it's a lot of different vegetables, and it's very flavorful. So here we go. You will need lasagna noodles. Nine. I used nine total lasagna noodles for a 9 by 13 size lasagna pan. A lasagna pan is highly recommended here because this can get thick. Uh, if you have a regular lasagna pan or you want to get one of the foil ones, that would probably be a good idea. I have a 9 by 13 that's extra, that's deeper than normal, and it came right to the top of that. So, nine lasagna noodles. I also would say that this would work well with the Barilla brand lasagna noodles that you don't have to boil. I used regular ones, then I boiled them, but um, it, this is a very juicy lasagna, so I think it would work really well with the kind that you don't have to pre-cook, okay? You'll need one jar of sauce, 24 to 32 ounce, and I used a jar of Prego that I had because I wanted to make the recipe translate over well, you know, for the, for the recipe, so I used a jar of Prego traditional. You need three chicken breasts that have been um, baked with some sort of seasoning on them and sliced. For example, um, mine had salt, pepper, granulated garlic, granulated onion, and a little bit of basil on them. Three chicken breasts. Now, you could also, if you wanted to, you could use a rotisserie chicken that you have removed all of the meat Remove the skin, remove all of the meat, and then take that meat and slice it up. That would work pretty well. Because I would say probably you'll need about a pound to a pound and a half of chicken breast. So however you want to do that is fine. Um, you could even bake, have chicken breasts and make extras just to make this. Okay, you'll need one bag of fresh spinach, one pound of bacon that has been fried and broken up, and you want it to be not, well, reasonably crispy, but not super crispy. So a little bit crispy and a little bit not crispy is good for that. Um, you'll need four Roma tomatoes sliced into fourth-inch thick slices. You'll need a pound of provolone cheese, uh, one can of artichoke hearts chopped, a piece of Romano cheese to grate, and I don't know what the weight is on those. Those are probably like, I think I used about an eighth of a pound of the Romano that I grated onto the stuff, so probably that. You'll need roasted red peppers, the a jar of canned roasted red peppers, um, probably the small jar. You, would, you could use the whole jar, okay? And that's 
all of that. So here uh, is your layering. First of all, preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Now, you're going to put about half of the sauce in the bottom of your dish. You're not going to have sauce on every single layer, so you need it on the top and on the bottom. So about a half of your jar on the bottom, and then you're going to lay three noodles down. Put about half of your sliced tomatoes down on top of the noodles, and then spread half of your artichoke hearts on top of the tomatoes. Take your uh, your spinach. This is what I did. I took my spinach, and I um, took the stems off and chopped it up so that I could spread it kind of better. So if you want to take about the amount of spinach that you like, I put a lot in there. So I put about a third of a bag on as a layer. So chop it up and spread it on top of your artichoke hearts. Then top your spinach with half of your bacon. And then on top of the bacon, you're going to grate the Romano cheese as much as you like to cover it. And then you're going to take half of your chicken and spread out on top of the Romano cheese. Then on top of the chicken, you're going to spread some roasted red peppers as much as you like. And then on top of the roasted red peppers, you're going to put slices of provolone cheese to cover that layer. I think I did nine slices of provolone cheese on the layer. So that's pretty good. Then on top of the provolone, your next three noodles... And then repeat those layers again. So on top of the noodles, you're going to put the rest of your tomatoes, the rest of your artichoke hearts, uh, another big bunch of spinach chopped up, the rest of your bacon, uh, more Romano cheese grated on top of the bacon, the rest of your chicken, roasted red pepper on top of that, provolone on top of that, and noodles. And then on the top, you're going to cover the top with sauce. And what I did before I put the sauce on, I kind of pressed down on it and then I took my sauce and covered it really well and let it run down the edges and everything and, you know, covered the whole top of it. Don't put your cheese on top yet. Now, if you would take your lasagna and I covered it, this is how I covered it. I put another 9 by 13 pan on top of it upside down so it was like a big lid And I put it in the oven for 30 minutes and baked it, okay? Once I baked it for 30 minutes, I took it out and I put provolone cheese on the top of that. Now, we are not huge cheese lovers here. You can put on as much cheese or way more cheese than I did. So as much as you want on there. After it bakes for 30 minutes, take it out, put your cheese on the top. And you can leave your 9 by 13 pan off if you desire, or you can put it back on if you don't want your cheese to get too burned and brown. You know how it gets like brown and bubbly on top if you don't want that to happen too fast. And leave it in for 30 more minutes, and then take a look at it. If it's bubbling around the edges, which is what you want, you want to see some juice bubbling up through your noodles, then you can take it out of the oven. If not, let it in until it starts to do that, until your cheese gets a little bit browned and bubbly on top and you're, you got some juice bubbling up. It may take an extra 30 minutes, so it's going to bake. Bake time's going to be between an hour and an hour and a half, okay? When it's done, take it out of the oven and let it sit for about 30 minutes before you slice it. Because I sliced, I let it set for 15, and I can honestly tell you it was way too hot to eat. So I should have, <laughs> I should have let it sit. It's very juicy. You get a lot of juice from your vegetables, which is why I think the um, 
noodles that you don't have to boil would work fine in this. I usually don't use those though, so you know. But leftover, it you know how it's always, lasagna is always better leftover. I don't even know why that is, but. Well, probably because everything kind of sticks together. You know, it absorbs all the juice into the noodles and whatever. But anyway, this was really good. I had it in my lunch twice last week. Um, we had it for supper twice. It was really good. And uh, I, I definitely, I'll make this again and again because it wasn't very difficult. Although there are a lot of ingredients and the prep is a little bit, but it wasn't very difficult to make, but it was really very flavorful and good. I would also say that it would be very easy to make this dish vegan by simply using chicken, the uh, vegan chicken product and vegan cheese because there's nothing really else in here. And it would, I think it would be very, very good to, to do that. I think it would work really well. So I hope you give this one a try because I really like this recipe. Very good. For the third recipe, this is a brownie recipe that we found a few years ago on WTAE had posted it. A local news website had put it on their website. Now, they called it triple chocolate cassis brownies. We call them razzmatazz brownies because we weren't sure what cassis was. And then we found out and we're like, eh, we'll use the raspberry liqueur think that'd be good raspberry schnapps yeah. so and that's the kind that we found it's called razzmatazz so just to let you know ahead of time there's a lot of steps to this recipe and it's quickest if you have a person to help you if you're doing it by yourself make sure you have everything prepped ahead of time put all the ingredients into little bowls because it's not easy to measure things while you have the mixer going and everything. So this is one of those get everything out ahead of time so that it's all good to go. So for the razzmatazz brownies, you need six ounces of bittersweet chocolate, coarsely chopped, six ounces of semi-sweet chocolate, coarsely chopped, two ounces of unsweetened chocolate, coarsely chopped, or for all of those, you could use chocolate chips if you want. Just get dark chocolate, semi-sweet you usually can't find unsweetened as chips. That's going to be the baker's chocolate. But for the other ones, you can use whatever you like. You also need one cup of butter, a fourth cup unsweetened cocoa powder, three eggs, one cup of sugar, three-fourths cup of packed brown sugar, half a cup of raspberry liqueur. We use razzmatazz. Two teaspoons of vanilla one and a fourth cup of all-purpose flour, and a fourth teaspoon of salt. So the first thing you're going to do is melt the chocolate because that is very time-consuming. There's no point preheating your oven. It'll just be on for so much longer than you need. So if you do not have a double boiler or if you haven't melted chocolate before, you can use a microwave, but I recommend doing this on the stove because it turns out so much better. So what you do is get a pot with a little bit of water in it, maybe an inch and a half, and then get a glass bowl, something that fits over top of that pot. Set it in there. You don't want the top of the water touching the bottom of the bowl. Have it at a like simmering. You don't want it bubbling too much, but put all your chocolate in there along with all of the butter. 
and keep stirring it pretty continuously. Like you don't want to let it go for too long because you don't want the chocolate to burn. So you're going to stir that until it's pretty well melted. Then add the cocoa powder. Keep stirring it. You want everything to be completely melted and all mixed together. Once that's done, remove that bowl from the heat and set it aside to cool. It's going to take quite a while for it to get to room temperature. So you can do this whole step before you even start mixing up the other ingredients. By the time you get everything else mixed together, this should be cool. Now you can turn on the oven to 350 degrees to preheat. Coat a 9 by 13 baking pan with either cooking spray or Crisco. You want to grease that pan. And then in a large bowl, lightly beat the eggs. Uh, Add all the sugars, so the brown sugar and the regular sugar. And you want to beat with an electric mixer at high speed until it's thick and light colored, about five minutes. Beat in the razzmatazz and vanilla. Then you're going to add the chocolate mixture and beat that until it's well blended. Once it's well blended, put the mixer on low speed and gradually add the flour and salt. Beat that until it's just combined. Pour the batter into the prepared pan. You need to smooth the surface with a rubber scraper. This batter is very, very thick. Or a cement trowel. <laughs> yeah, it it looks almost like frosting when you're pouring it out. It does not pour like a cake batter does. So... You definitely need to smooth out the surface, get it all so it's mostly even. It will even out some while it's baking, but not much. So you want to get it all smooth. Whenever you bake it, you're going to put it in the oven for about 30 minutes or until a toothpick inserted um, kind of like around two inches from the center comes out slightly moist. You don't want it to come out with a lot of batter on it, but... They're brownies, so they should be fudgy. If you pull the toothpick out and it's completely dry, they are overbaked. You want it to be a little bit moist. So when you're cooling them, cool them in the pan on a wire rack. When they're completely cool, you can cut them into squares. I highly recommend making these into small squares because they are very, very, very rich. We like to say they're prescription grade brownies. <laughs> yeah, they're uh man, if you like chocolate, these are the oh. brownies for you. But they have because it's dark chocolate and raspberry, they're not super super raspberry. Yeah, you don't get this huge ra- it's a very light raspberry flavor in them. Very mm-hmm. light. And it's one of those things too, if you like really dark chocolate stuff, you can use more dark chocolate than semi-sweet. If you don't really like dark chocolate, you can use more semi-sweet than dark chocolate. They're the most amazing brownies, really. They are they are really the most amazing brownies. I mean, they're they're fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And very chocolatey. Yes, these are uh they're wonderful. Okay. Next up, Sicilian pizza. Here in western Pennsylvania in Newcastle, Newcastle has more one-off pizza shops than any place I have ever been. There are so many different little pizza shops. You could have a different pizza every day for probably two weeks. You know, that's how many, I mean, there's so many of them. 
Um, we have other restaurants like that here too. We don't have, uh, we have a very, very small amount of chain restaurants in this town. Almost all the restaurants here are just a one off, one or two of them, you know. Or if they are a chain, it's all like a family run thing. Yeah. Like- like a, a, a local chain or something. So anyway, there's um, there's a pizza shop in town that makes a pizza, a Sicilian pizza. This is how I first ever learned about Sicilian pizza from this particular pizza shop. And it's sort of like if pizza were a cake, this is it. Okay. And typically... I thought pizza as a cake was lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> Well, typically, Sicilian pizza, uh, a lot of people think it's just square pizza, which it is. It's square pizza. So, But not all square pizza is Sicilian pizza. Some square pizza is just square pizza. You know, that's all there is to it. Sicilian pizza usually doesn't have toppings on it other than uh, cheese and pepperoni, maybe. Maybe pepperoni. Not. I don't remember ever having toppings on Sicilian pizza because it's basically just the crust sauce and cheese so this is like um this is like a very basic but fantastic pizza i asked my mom about this if she had ever had pizza like this because her family's full-blooded italian first generation and she said um her mom made one usually on sunday afternoons that she called special pizza and it usually didn't even have sauce on it. It was just the crust and some uh, seasonings and cheese. And that's it. And it was a big, thick, like in a cake pan, you know. So um, I'm going to give you my version of the Sicilian pizza I remember from uh, that I've had here. It might not line up with anybody else's version of Sicilian pizza, but it's the one that I know from, from uh, here in Newcastle. So really the main difference in a Sicilian pizza is the crust. And it's it's like a very light, even though it's thick, it's going to be almost two inches thick. It's very light because you're going to let the dough rise for a long time when we put it in the pan. So this is another thing that's like a project. Although it's not a project you're going to be standing and working with constantly. It's going to be, you know, it's going to take a while. So you're going to need a 9 by 13 pan with... Two inch sides at least. Bigger is good, but at least two inches deep. Uh, you'll need a 32 ounce jar of chunky pasta sauce, like Classico makes a chunky garden pasta sauce that has basil and garlic and a few little other things in it. You can make your own if you like. And basically, if you make your own, you're just going to make a pasta sauce, but have chopped up tomatoes in it. So if you make your own recipe, You can make your own recipe of sauce, but add a bunch of chopped tomatoes in it because you want this to be very, you want to have big chunks of tomato in there. Chunky tomato basil sauce of any type would be perfect, okay? Uh, You'll need a good bit of minced garlic. So if you have a jar of uh, minced garlic, that works perfectly. Uh, You'll need a pound of mozzarella cheese. You can either have this shredded or sliced, whichever you prefer. Uh, Sliced is kind of the typical, but it doesn't have to be. Shredded works fine. You'll need some Romano cheese, which uh, you're going to grate over the crust. So you'll want to have a little chunk of little triangle of Romano cheese. And you'll need olive oil. You'll also need one batch of this particular dough, okay? So you're going to need three cups of flour total, 
two cups of flour to get you started, two teaspoons of yeast, half teaspoon of salt, and one teaspoon of sugar. Okay, you're going to mix that together in a bowl. Then you're going to add two tablespoons of olive oil and one and a fourth cup of very warm water. Mix that really well. And then you're just going to add in a little bit of flour at a time until it comes together as a nice ball to where it's uh, slightly sticky, but you can start kneading it. Once you get to that stage, you can knead it in the bowl or you can dump it out onto your table and knead it there. Just add a little bit of flour at a time and knead it until you get a nice soft dough, very slightly sticky. You don't want to put a lot of flour in this and make a heavy dough. Because you want this, the whole purpose of this is you want it to be really light when it rises, okay? Put it in an oiled bowl that's about, you know, big enough to hold the dough volume doubled. Put it in an oiled bowl, flip it over, and cover it with plastic wrap so it can rise. And this will take about two hours. When it's doubled in size, you're going to punch it down and get your pan ready now. So punch it down, cover it up again, and take your 9 by 13 pan and oil it thoroughly. And it's going to take about a fourth cup of oil, which sounds ridiculous, but you want this crust is basically going to kind of fry in the pan, okay? In the meantime, you can also warm your tomato sauce up a little bit. You could put it in the microwave or on the stovetop. You just want to warm it. You don't want to have it like cooking. But just even warm to the touch is good. Once you have your oil ready in your pan, take your dough and kind of press it down, stretch it out till it's about the size of your 9 by 13 pan because you don't want to mess around with all that olive oil in there, you know, trying to stretch it out. It's not going to stretch out. So put that in your 9 by 13 pan and work it a little bit. Just stretch it so that it's a little bit stretched out in there and starts to fill the pan, but it's not going to fill the pan. You're just going to get it kind of the shape, okay? And then you're going to cover that pan with either plastic wrap or a towel, and you're going to let that dough rise. Check it every once in a while and see if you need to stretch it to fit the pan a little better, but you're going to let that dough rise until the pan is filled with dough. And it will fill that pan. So that takes about another probably two hours to do that. Once the dough is risen and it'll rise just about as high as your pan is, you're going to take your finger and poke holes all over it. Kind of like if you've ever seen or made focaccia bread, that's what it looks like. It'll have all those little dimples in it. After you do that, you're going to take the top of that and you're going to drizzle that very lightly with olive oil. Then you're going to sprinkle some of your minced garlic on the top and then about a half a cup of shredded Romano cheese sprinkle all over the top very carefully because you don't want to deflate your dough. Next, now this is up to you how you want to do this. You can either put your mozzarella cheese down first or your sauce down first. I put my sauce down first and I just go very carefully and lightly A spoonful at a time, I put sauce all over the top of the pizza, and then I put my mozzarella cheese all over the top of that. And then very carefully, we're going to move that into our oven, which has been preheated at 375 degrees. We're going to put it in the oven, and we're going to bake for about 30 minutes or until the edges are nice and crispy looking and the cheese has browned. So depending on your oven... 
It may take longer than that, but you want it to be, you want the very edges the whole way around your Sicilian pizza to be uh, nice and brown looking and crispy looking. And you want your cheese to be very nice and bubbly and browned. And then you're going to take this, take this out of the oven and very carefully put it on a cooling rack and go right around the edges of the pan with a butter knife and loosen it all up. Make sure it's all loose. And usually this will lift right out. If you have a large spatula, you can very carefully slide your large spatula underneath of it and very carefully lift it out and slide it onto a cooling rack and let it cool a little bit until you can cut it. And then you don't want to cut this into massive pieces, you know, it's, it's, it's big. <laughs> so you, you probably could get like 12 pieces out of this pretty easily. When you cut this, take a bread knife. If you can slide it onto a cutting board, take a bread knife and cut down through it or a big serrated knife and cut down through it and enjoy some of the best pizza you've ever had. You will love this. I guarantee you will love this. There's your Sicilian pizza. Last but not least, we had to have some sort of a vegetable dish because good grief. This is a recipe that I make really often. I call it oven home fry medley, okay, which is ridiculous. I couldn't think of a good name for it, and I thought I have to name this now that it's going to be a recipe. And I can, I sometimes do this on a jelly roll pan, which is like a 10 by 15 baking sheet that has a rim around it. Or I've also done this in a disposable foil pan, which is kind of nice, especially if you're making a larger batch. But this is the batch that I would normally make us for supper or something. And this fits into a rimmed jelly roll pan. You're going to need three to five red skin potatoes. Scrub them, dice them, and put them into a pan of cold water to soak. About 15 or 20 minutes in there. You need one small zucchini, probably about like an eight to 10 inch long zucchini, about two inches in diameter, with the stem end removed, diced. A uh, yellow squash of about the same size, diced. One large onion, diced. And you want to make your dice about half inch to one inch. And then uh, bell pepper diced, okay? Once you have those things all diced up, you can dice them into the same bowl. Drain your potatoes, rinse them off real good, and add them to the bowl. Toss them all around together. Uh, you're going to add olive oil and seasoning. So once you have them all in the bowl mixed together... Put about two tablespoons of olive oil over them and then a tablespoon of the seasonings of your choice. So I used my um, Mary Mac this and that seasoning. You can use that. You can use a seasoned salt that you like. You can use salt, pepper, garlic. What is it? Salt, pepper, granulated garlic, granulated onion, and just mix that up and put that on top, whatever you want. Then stir those around in the bowl so everything's coated pretty well and spread them on to the baking sheet, which has been oiled really well, okay? Because it will stick if you don't oil it well. And you're going to bake that at 375. Convection works the best. You don't have to have convection. But if you do this at 375 or if you want to do this in your air fryer, which everyone seems to like these days, you could do that also until they are um, nice and browned and slightly crispy. In the oven, it takes about an hour, maybe a little bit longer. I have no idea how long it takes in an air fryer, so you'll have to figure that out yourself. But this is a really nice side dish. 
You can add different vegetables to this also. I kind of do this like in the summertime, kind of based on what I have. But this is nice any time of the year. It's a very colorful um, vegetable medley, and it works great as a side dish. And that's the last square thing in our square five-year anniversary podcast. Make sure you check us out online on Facebook and Instagram at Mary Mac Bakehouse, on Twitter at Mobile Mary Mac and Mary Mac Podcast, and on our website, MaryMacPodcast.com. Thanks a lot for listening for the last five years if you did. And if you didn't, too bad for you.